Welcome to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast, presented by the Hampton Inn Waco North. This episode, In the Locker Room, with Gerald Myers. We take a look at the life and career of Texas Sports Hall of Famer, Gerald Myers. Hi everybody, welcome to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast. I'm Jackson Michael, author of The Game Before the Money, Voices of the Men Who Built the NFL, and writer-director of We Were the Oilers, The Love You Blue Era. In today's episode of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast, we sit down with Gerald Myers. Myers served as head coach of the Texas Tech men's basketball team from 1971 until 1991, and later worked as athletic director for Texas Tech from 1996 until 2011. With Gerald Myers as head coach, the Texas Tech Red Raiders won two Southwest Conference regular season titles and three Southwest Conference tournament titles. Myers was Southwest Conference Coach of the Year five times and took Texas Tech into the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament in 1976. Myers grew up in the Texas Panhandle in a small town named Borger. He tells us about growing up in the 1940s and 1950s. Back during the 40s and 50s and right after the war, Borger was kind of like a boom town. It's an oil field, gas and oil. Phillips has got the biggest inland refinery in the country located in Borger. So it was a good time. Although football usually dominates the high school sports landscape in Texas, Basketball was the game in Borger. Borger had some really good basketball teams in the late 40s and early 50s when I was growing up. When I was in sixth grade, I think Borger went to the state tournament, maybe finished second or something like that. Of course, we all looked up to the high school team. We looked up to those players. We admired them. We tried to go to their games when we could, uh, all the way back down in 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth grade. And our little grade school teams were pretty good. Our junior high teams were pretty good because of the interest and the influence of the high school team. Some people feel their life's destiny early on, and Coach Gerald Myers falls into that category. I decided I wanted to be a coach when I was in the sixth grade. I had a, a sixth grade coach that was a World War II veteran. He'd been shot up in the war, and he came back, and I thought, you know, he was the greatest guy I'd ever known. Then I just decided I wanted to be a coach. I went to the First Baptist Church when I was growing up. So one Sunday, uh, the preacher asked me. He asked me if I wanted to be a preacher. And I said, no, sir, I'm going to be a coach. He <laughs> kind of scared me. <laughs> I said, no, sir, I'm going to be a coach. Myers gives credit to his high school basketball coach, Tex Hanna, for building a great basketball program in Borger. It was just a town that really, uh, really liked their basketball, and they had good crowds, and they had really good teams, but above all, had a really great coach, Tex Hanna. He grew up in Borger. He got drafted. He was in the uh, Army in World War II in, in Patton's tank. He was a gunner in a tank, and but he came back, and he wanted to be a football coach, but uh, all the positions were full, so they signed him to basketball and he built a basketball program. We were in a, in a district with Amarillo and Lubbock, two towns that were about four or five times as big as Borger. Their high schools were about that ratio also, and uh, we just couldn't compete with them in football. 
but we could in basketball. And Coach Hanna, I think the thing I really took from him more than anything else, we never played a game that we didn't think we could win. He always inspired us that we could win. And he did it without ever mentioning the word win. Tex Hanna's success as a coach was no accident. He modeled himself after two of the game's greats. He even got them to visit Borger. I think people he really emulated was Adolph Rupp and Henry Iba. I know those are two guys that he, he emulated a lot. In fact, my junior and senior year, Adolph Rupp came and spoke at our high school basketball banquet. My senior year, Henry Iba came and spoke. <laughs> and so we had two of the greatest coaches of all time speak at our, at our basketball banquet. Gerald Myers would go on to set free throw percentage records at Texas Tech, but he says the seeds of that were sown in high school. We'd shoot 50 free throws after practice every day, and we had to make 80%. We had to make 40 out of 50, and then we'd put it on the chart, and it'd take us some time. So I knew how to shoot free throws before I got to Tech. Myers talks about his recruiting experience and why he chose to attend school and play basketball at Texas Tech. The little high school team I played on, we weren't very big, but all five of us got scholarships to go to play in college. I wasn't necessarily actively recruited, but I got letters from a lot of schools. I got a letter from Kentucky. I got a letter from Kansas, from Kansas State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas A&M. I didn't get a lot of letters from Southwest Commerce Schools being way up in the panhandle. Not many schools came up there, but one guy that came up there and actively recruited me, and I really enjoyed him and liked him a lot, but it was just too far to go, was Guy Lewis from the University of Houston. He drove a 1947 Cadillac to Borger and picked me up and drove me back to Houston (laughs) in that car. And, uh, you know, I felt really good. I felt he really wanted me to go to Houston, but it was just too far. I really decided to go to Texas Tech because it was close. A lot of my classmates, probably 12 or 15 of them, were going to go to school at Tech. And Texas Tech had a brand new coliseum under construction. And when I visited and saw that Coliseum, that was it. I fell in love with Texas Tech. That Coliseum was a 10,000-seat arena, a state-of-the-art arena, the best, the best in, uh, in Texas at that time. Big things started happening at Texas Tech during Meyer's freshman year. Tech was voted in the Salvage Conference in 1956, and I was a freshman that year. I remember when the announcement was made, a huge crowd gathered out here on campus. It seemed like everybody in town came out there. Probably fifteen or 20,000 people. And the president of the university spoke and mayor. And it was just a huge day for Texas Tech. Myers says it was a huge opportunity for Tech to be voted into a major conference so early in the school's development. Joining the Southwest Conference was the greatest thing that ever happened to Texas Tech. Texas Tech was only about 30 years old, you know, started in 1926. So it was a relatively young school, and to get into a conference like that at such an early time was a great thing for the school. I mean, we wouldn't have been in the Big 12 and the Power 5 Conference if we hadn't got invited to the Southwest Conference. The Red Raiders basketball team was the first Texas Tech team to represent the school in the Southwest Conference. 
football didn't start in Selwood's Conference until 1960, I believe, because all the football schedules were so filled up, they couldn't work them in until about 1960. Our basketball team, we, we were the ones that had the privilege to be the first team to represent Tech in the Southwest Conference. We played an independent schedule my sophomore year, and then my junior senior year, we played in the Southwest Conference. During his junior year, Myers became the first Texas Tech athlete to make an all-Southwest Conference team. The combination surrounding the excitement of joining the Southwest Conference, along with having a new basketball arena, pushed the Red Raiders to perform better than expected. And Myers notes the quality of Texas Tech's facilities when compared to the rest of the Southwest Conference. That Coliseum was full nearly every game. It was just a great atmosphere, a great place to play. Because of that crowd and the home court advantage they gave us, we were pretty hard to beat in Lubbock. But we finished third both years. And, you know, looking around the Southwest Conference, uh, Texas was still in Gregory Gym. Taylor had a little small high school gymnasium type, probably had about 1,500 people, maybe 2,000. The only other really first-class arena was Moody Coliseum at SMU. Moody Coliseum and Lubbock Municipal Coliseum, those were the two by far best basketball facilities in the Southwest Conference for a number of years. Opportunity knocked on Gerald Meyer's door soon after he graduated from Texas Tech. I was really fortunate in my career to be at the right place at the right time. When I graduated in 1959, Monterey High School in Lubbock was a new school. I think they were in their third year, and they had about 2,500 students, one of the biggest schools in the state. And I had the opportunity to go there as the assistant coach, and I was there eight years. The success Coach Myers found at Lubbock Monterey led to a college coaching opportunity when the athletic director for Wayland Baptist University in nearby Plainview took the same job at Houston Baptist. We won a couple of uh, district championships and went to state tournament a couple of times. And in 1967, Ed Billings, who had been the athletic director over Wayland, got the athletic director's job at Houston Baptist. And Ed called me and offered me the job as head coach at Houston Baptist, and I was 30 years old. Coach Myers wanted to provide opportunities for the best athletes he could find. That meant recruiting in the racially charged South. Some recruiting ventures took on a dangerous tone, but also led to successes both on and off the court for Myers and his players. I think they were 6-20 and 20 here before I went. And uh, I immediately went to Mississippi and Louisiana in 1967 and 68 and started recruiting, and nobody was integrated. And so I went over there, and uh, I just started canvassing. I'd, I'd go to a black school and ask the coach where the good players were, and I got some good referrals, and, and I was able to recruit some really good uh, black athletes from uh, northeastern Louisiana and kind of central and northern uh, Mississippi. That was probably one of the most meaningful periods in my life and in my coaching career. My first recruit was a boy named Rufus Burns, and uh, I, I took him home during the Christmas break, and we drove most of the night up 
We went in to a truck stop. It was about 5 in the morning. Coach Myers told us the man working at the counter tossed an insult at Rufus Burns and told Coach Myers that Burns couldn't eat there. Coach Myers responded by throwing the same insult back at the person running the counter. You know, I had to do something to stand up for my player. And the boy, he started hollering, going back to the counter. Rufus, my guy, he said, Coach, we better get out of here. He's going after a gun. Another incident happened while Coach Myers recruited a player named Eddie Brown. It had been raining, and it was Sunday, and, and it was muddy. And I said, Eddie, you, do you have a uh, concrete court in town where we could go and I could watch you shoot? And he said, no, Coach, the only concrete court is uh, up to white school. He said, I can't go up there. I said, well, if you got a ball, we'll go up there and just, you can shoot around a little bit. It's Sunday. It'll be all right. So we go up there, and he's shooting, and I'm watching him, and I'm liking what I see. And uh, this guy pulled up in a pickup. He rolled his window down, and he said, this court's reserved for the students of this school. I told him I was coach, and I was from Houston, and I was going to recruit Eddie. He said, no, he can't. He got, you got to get him out of here. He can't shoot here. I said, well, we won't be long. He drove off and came back to more guys in his truck. Eddie said, Coach, we better leave. We're getting ready to have trouble. But Eddie told me about probably the greatest player that I ever recruited, especially Houston Baptist, maybe uh, one of the top two that I ever recruited, named E.C. Coleman. And he eventually played five years for the New Orleans Jazz. The NBA's New Orleans Jazz moved to Utah and are now known as the Utah Jazz. Myers compiled a credible record at Houston Baptist and even had a winning season in his second year. The job at Houston Baptist eventually led Coach Myers back to Lubbock and the Texas Tech family. We'll discuss how that move happened and hear stories from Myers' coaching and athletic director days when we return to In the Locker Room with Gerald Myers on the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast. Presented by the Hampton Inn Waco North. Hi, this is Hall of Famer Nancy Lieberman, and I listen to the Texas Hall of Fame podcast. And if you're not listening to it, you're missing out. If you've enjoyed listening today, please visit the Texas Sports Hall of Fame in Waco. The museum tells a story of the greatest athletes and coaches in Texas history by using objects from its collection, which numbers over 15,000. And when you come to Waco, be sure and stay at the Hampton Inn Waco North, located just eight minutes from the museum on I-35. The Hampton Inn has recently been renovated and includes free hot breakfast, free Wi-Fi, and an indoor-outdoor pool. And since the Hampton Inn is the official hotel of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame, you never know who you might bump into in the lobby. Hey, is that Earl Campbell? And now back to In the Locker Room with Gerald Myers on the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast. Presented by the Hampton Inn, Waco North. Before the break, I mentioned that the Houston Baptist job unlocked an opportunity for Coach Myers at Texas Tech. 
Bob Bass turned the key that unlocked that door. Bob Bass was named the head coach at Tech in 1969. And we came out here and played Tech. That spring, I'd been in Houston Baptist three years, Bob offered me an assistant's job at Tech. Myers didn't stay in the assistant coach position for very long. I came here in April 1970 in the spring, and I was assistant coach until January of 1971. Bob called us in and said he had had an offer to go back into the ABA in Miami and coach Miami Floridians, and he accepted it and said he was leaving that day. Tech named Myers the interim coach after Bob Bass left midseason for the pro ranks of the American Basketball Association. We went on and won eight and lost five or six in conference, and eventually they named me the coach. I mean, you know, I just happened to be like that high school job. I was an assistant after one year. The coach left. I was the head coach. I came to Tech. The head coach, he was the head coach about seven months. And then I was the interim and then the head coach here. So, I mean, it was just being at the right place at the right time. I was 33 years old when I became the head coach at Texas Tech, which is pretty young for a job of that caliber. Although Myers was a young coach, his team had some strong talent. And one of the main ones was Ron Richardson, a six foot eleven guy, good player from Compton, California, junior college. And then we recruited the best player and the most dominant player that we ever had at Tech while I was coaching, a guy named Rick Bullock. Coach Myers piloted the Red Raiders to the 1973 Southwest Conference Championship and into the NCAA tournament. That was back when only 32 teams went to the NCAA. And we played South Carolina, Frank McGuire's team. He had five guys on that team that played in the NBA. They had Kevin Joyce, played in the NBA. Mike Dunleavy, Brian Winters, he played for Milwaukee. Alex English played for Denver. And they had a seven-foot center named Trailer. He only played in the NBA about one or two years. They beat us 78-74 up at Wichita. Myers said that during most of his coaching tenure, generally only one team per conference would make the NCAA tournament. Coach Myers guided Tech back into the tournament in 1976, taking them into the Sweet 16. We played Syracuse in Denton, and Bayheim was assistant coach that year. That was his first year, and we beat Syracuse in Denton. And then we went to the regional tournament because, again, there's only 32 teams that, that went to the tournament. Texas Tech then fell to Missouri in the Sweet 16. The 1976 tournament marked the end of Rick Bullock's career at Texas Tech. Earlier, Myers called him the most dominant player he coached at Tech, and now Coach gives us the numbers to back up that statement. Rick's years, his last year was 75-76. We finished second his sophomore year, second his junior year. We finished second his senior year. But we won the Southwest Conference Tournament and went to the NCAA tournament for the second time. Our record was like 46 wins and 12 losses in conference. But that 46 and 12, I've looked it up, that's the best four-year conference record Tech's ever had. And it was because of a guy named Rick Bullock. 
Bobby Knight's Indiana Hoosiers won the 1976 NCAA tournament. He and Coach Myers knew each other at the time. Later, the two studied film together and became friends. I knew him a little bit. We were acquainted, but I got better acquainted with him a couple of years later. We became good friends. I went up to Bloomington and talked to him and picked his brain and watched films. We sat in there and watched Indiana film for two days, just going over the motion offense and defensive play and everything, and that's when we really became friends. The Red Raiders continued to win under Coach Myers until the 1982 season, his first losing season at Texas Tech. We had a good group of freshmen in 1982, and and we had about three or four JUCOs in 1982, and we were just doing awful. Our non-conference record was like 3-11, and 11, and we'd never had a losing year since I'd been the head coach. We'd never had a losing team. I guess I was pretty hard on them and worked them pretty hard. Well, three guys quit. They just quit the team. Three more on the team violated some serious team rules. So I dismissed them. So we were down to eight players. That was one of the most enjoyable years I ever coached. Those eight players, they all got to play. If I said, boys, we're going to have a pregame meal at 4 o'clock, well, they'd be down there a quarter to 4. I said, the bus is going to leave at 5.30. They'd be down there by 5.15. I mean, they, there was never a problem, and it was truly one of the most enjoyable times I had because they bonded, they were close, they played together. That group of players earned the nickname Eight is Enough, also the name of a popular television show in the late 70s and early 80s. Eight truly was enough, and the seeds were sown for another Southwest Conference Championship in 1985. In our senior year, we won the conference with that same group of boys that were, well, we called them eight is enough in uh, 82. And it's basically that same team that won the conference in 85, led by one of our most prolific and best shooters that's ever played in the Southwest Conference, Bubba Jennings. Coach Myers, who worked on the NCAA Rules Committee, says Jennings could have had an even better senior season. I was actually on the Rules Committee when the shot clock was put in. And the three-point line in 1986 is when the three-point line came in. I will tell you a little story about that. Now, NCAA said you can experiment with the three-point line in 1985 because it's going to be a rule in 1986. So I brought it up at the conference meet. I said, why don't we go ahead and adopt that three-point line because it's going to be a rule next year. Jim Killingsworth from TCU, he said, hey, we weren't born under a tub. When Bubba Jennings graduates, we'll vote for the line. He, he would have probably averaged five or six more points a game if they had that line because he was such a terrific outside shooter. Myers also served on the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee. He fills us in on what goes on behind closed doors. How did that team do the last 10 games of the year, especially some of the bubble teams? You know, what is their RPI? What is their strength of schedule? How did they do against the top 25% of the teams, the first quadrant? How did they do against the second quadrant, the third quadrant? And each committee member is assigned a couple of conferences that he monitors. He watches those teams and gives reports back to the uh, committee when the selection process starts. Now, when your team or your conference is being discussed, you have no voice. Or if Texas Tech came up, I had to leave the room. 
Coach Myers tells us he coached during a great time in Southwest Conference history. The Southwest Conference was the most underrated conference in college basketball. The University of Houston had the best team for three years with five Simon Jammin, just unfortunately weren't able to win a national title. The coaches in the Southwest Conference and players back during that era, I mean, they, they, we had great coaches. Eddie Sutton, Eddie Sutton is good as any coach that's ever coached basketball. Another really underrated coach was Shelby Metcalf down at Daniels. Abe Lemons was down at Texas. Abe was a very good coach. Carol Dawson down at Baylor was a very good coach. It was tough to coach and recruit in the Southwest Conference because all of us were in Texas, and all of us were recruiting the same players. Former Texas Tech Chancellor Kent Hance notes that Myers also played a leading role among Southwest Conference coaches. He also found ways to stir up the crowd and his team. We were playing Arkansas in Southwest Conference Finals one time. And we were down by like 10 or 12 points. We just lost momentum. And so Gerald was trying to get a technical and they wouldn't call one. So he went running out on the court. And he said, I've never worked as hard in my life to get the technical. And boy, the crowd got into it and turned the game around. Current Texas Tech Athletic Director Kirby Hocutt notes that Coach Meyer's passion endeared him to Red Raider Nation. You talk about the opportunity that athletics has to bring memories and experiences to your community, to your fan base, to your student body, to your alumni base. And I think you know the memories that the Red Raider Nation has of Gerald are imprinted in their minds forever if it's him taking off his jacket on the bench and throwing his sports coat or if it's him stomping his foot to get the attention of the referees during a game. I think more than anything, my favorite thing about Coach Myers was hearing our fans reminisce about games in the Coliseum and how he coached and and how emotional he would get on the sidelines because those are experiences and times that people will carry with them forever and the memories will last a lifetime. He'd get mad. At a game, he'd get mad at the referees, and he'd take his coat off and throw it on the floor, and sometimes he'd kick it. And somebody told him, Gerald, you're running up your cleaning bill. Don't be doing this. Hans adds that Myers racked up more than dry cleaning charges as a head coach. I could always tell where he was recruiting somebody because he'd get speeding tickets. He was recruiting Will Flemons in Paducah, and I bet you we had six, seven, eight, Tickets pending down there and between Paducah and Lovell. It'd be in Florida, Aiden, Rawls, Matador. He just had a heavy foot. So the more intense he was on trying to get somebody signed, the more tickets he got. After 1985, Texas Tech basketball soon slid to the middle of the pack of the Southwest Conference. Shortly thereafter, the wheels came off of the men's basketball program. And we really went down, and I got reassigned in 1991 to assistant athletic director. I might have been able to go somewhere else and coach because I was still fairly young as far as coaching is concerned. But my daughter was here. Uh, we had we just liked it here. We loved Texas Tech. And uh, instead of continuing on coaching, I just said I was going to start over. I just became assistant athletic director. Tech Athletic Director Bob Bachrath asks Myers to take on additional responsibility when Texas Tech sports legend Janine McCaney, who oversaw women's athletics, faced a terminal illness. 
he asked me to work with her and do anything I could to help her with her job. Marcia Sharp was actually the SWA, but she didn't have time to spend with those coaches or go to meetings and everything with her coaching responsibilities. And I started helping the uh, women's coaches any way I could. Myers notes that supporting women's athletics was a natural fit for him. Three most important people in my life, in my career, were my wife, my daughter, and my mother. And so I kind of naturally had a strong feeling and advocate for women's sports. When Bacharach left for Alabama, Myers hoped for a chance to become Texas Tech's athletic director. There were about six local candidates, and my chances of becoming an athletic director were pretty slim. But anyway, I applied for the job, and I had strong support from those women coaches. I was interim for about seven months, and then I did have some support from a couple of board members and and, uh, eventually was named the athletic director in the spring of '97. If I had not gotten involved and had those relationships with the women's coaches, I don't think there's any way I would have gotten that job because the administration wanted to hire an experienced AD. Myers was thankful for the chance, but also had some learning to do. I just wanted the opportunity. I've been around tech. I've been around a good athletic director, Bob Bachrath. We had uh, a good staff. I just wanted the opportunity to prove myself. One of the big question marks that I think the board and the administration had concerning me was fundraising. Myers learned on the job. One of his early tasks involved asking a donor who had previously helped with the football stadium for even more funds. I showed him my plans and he said, well, I like them. He had already given us that $20 million. He said, no, I can't give you $20 million again. And I said, well, can you give us 15 he said, yeah, I think I can give you 15. That was one of my first big fundraising efforts. Hans says that Gerald Meyer's vision for Texas Tech athletics and his fundraising efforts still helped the school achieve athletic success. When we got into the Big 12, he realized that our facilities were not up to par. And so uh, he got the construction started on the west side of the stadium to build suites. We sold those suites. And then when I was chancellor you know kind of looked like we had half a stadium and so we raised the money and built the east side where we have the texas tech club and we also have suites on that side and all those suites sold out gerald had a vision for the future for texas tech and it included the facilities that we now have you know he had had on the planning board kirby hocutt has put it through on the indoor track that we have Longtime Tech football coach Spike Dykes retired in 1999. Myers set out to find his successor to lead a team that featured a young quarterback named Cliff Kingsbury. President Calvin Coolidge once noted that nobody ever listened to themselves out of a job. The opposite, of course, is talking oneself out of a job. Myers remembers one candidate who did just that. We had a couple of candidates in, and one of them, wanted to look at some film of our team 
and he looked at the film and he called me and said, well, if I am chosen for the job, if I do get the job, I'm going to have to get me another quarterback. Well, Cliff was the quarterback. I knew he was a great young quarterback, and they kind of eliminated that fella from the job when he said he's going to have to get him another quarterback. Myers decided on Mike Leach, primarily because of the high-scoring offense he led as an assistant at Oklahoma. Leach's hiring provided an exciting backdrop for Spike Dyke's swan song. It was kind of ironic. We played Oklahoma. We'd already offered the job to Mike. He had one game to go, and it was against Texas Tech in Lubbock. And so Oklahoma came down here and played us, and it was Spike's last game, and emotions were high, and we beat Oklahoma, upset them. Cliff was the quarterback. He led a great comeback the second half. Myers also needed to find a new basketball coach. He turned to an old friend. We'd had four losing years. And it's just kind of rule of thumb. That's about all you can go with the losing program, about four years. Well, that was about a year after Bob Knight had been fired at Indiana. I contacted him, and he immediately had interest he knew me and uh, he thought he could work here for us and, uh, so he came out and the president smithy was impressed with bob and we were eventually able to hire him coach myers stated he felt honored to be elected to the texas sports hall of fame and expressed gratitude about being included with his fellow southwest conference coaches and texas athletes he admired while growing up in borger I was really pleased, not only for myself, but for my family and for my players and and for Texas Tech. Just a tremendous honor to be elected to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame, and I do consider it the greatest honor I've ever had in athletics. Coach Myers is also thankful for his career and decisions he made along the way. I've had a great career. I really have. And I wouldn't change a thing. And, you know, I had opportunities to go to other places to coach. I had other opportunities to go as a player. But I am so thankful and grateful that I chose Texas Tech and chose to stay here. Current Texas Tech Athletic Director Kirby Holcutt and former Chancellor Kent Hance make clear that the university is equally thankful. He's a legend in the state of Texas. And how many individuals in today's world do you find that grew up in a community and and then went to college and played there, later coached there, and then become the athletic director? And so Gerald's become a great friend and uh, mentor to me and and somebody that I uh, have only the utmost respect and admiration for. I think if you look at Texas Tech athletics, one name that jumps out above all would be Gerald Myers. And he had to make some tough decisions that were not popular, but he had courage to do what was best for Texas Tech, and I always admired him for that. He's synonymous with Texas Tech. Gerald Myers is Texas Tech in so many ways. He embodies all the things that we talk about. He's always done things to support and to promote and things that are in the best interest of Texas Tech, and more importantly, he's always done things the right way. Thank you for listening to In the Locker Room with Gerald Myers on the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast presented by the Hampton Inn, Waco North.